0: Well, many thanks uh, to some of you who came uh, yesterday to support me at my ordination. It's been a long time coming, uh, but thank you for being there. I appreciate you. very busy people. And the football was on as well, so there we go. It's, uh, it's important things. Now, over the last few weeks, uh, building up to that uh, kind of uh, service, it's been good, and people have pointed to me, to, to look back a little bit uh, um, and remember how I've got to, since sense, that point in my life. Friends and family, of course, have uh, come to mind. But it's also been good to remember... Those who've influenced me uh, and shaped me. All of us will have various individuals, just perhaps a handful of individuals, individuals who've left a, an indelible mark on our lives. These are people that you remember, certainly when things get tough, when you've got challenges in your life. You'll remember their influence, what they've said, how they've lived their life. There have been many, many men and women, I can recall, but I think four men stand out. Let me just tell you briefly about them. Firstly, Philip Hacking. My boys were very privileged uh, to meet him the other day when we were up in Sheffield. He was the minister of my church in which I grew up. And in an age where, and some of you will struggle to understand this, but in an age only 30, 40 years ago, when very, very few people were teaching the Bible faithfully in this country... He opened up the scriptures week by week, passionately and faithfully. He later encouraged me to, and to do likewise and supported me in that. second person I guess I, I turn to would be my family, particularly my dad. I grew up in a family where they were prepared to make sacrifices in order to make the gospel known. My dad is a, a rather cuddly, approachable figure. Some of you met him yesterday. But he's also a very strong man. And he would not compromise and he was determined to teach the Bible to young people, despite many, many pressures not to from people around. Third man I want to mention is a man named Bill Thomas. Uh, he was a family friend. He was also president of the Royal College of Surgeons. He was also <coughs> president within the whole world of the Gideon Society. He was an incredibly busy man, as you can imagine, but he prioritized coming to church each Sunday morning with his five children and then he would teach us as young teenagers the glories of the gospel usually with some medical illustration that was very gory uh, along with it the last man i mentioned very different again was a man called steve tynan as an older teenager steve taught me something very different he wasn't very good at teaching the bible i have to be honest about that Uh, he was incredibly dull if i'm honest But what he was, he was was a builder, a rough, tough man. And he would come along, disciplined as he was, with his briefcase. He'd open up, get the hugest big leather Bible out and teach us every week without fail. And he was incredibly loyal to each of us. These are the people that left a mark. And you will have your own, won't you? You're probably thinking about them now. Be thankful for them. Praise God for them. Thank God for them. There, there are examples in your life. There are encouragements. Their heart for the gospel. You'll remember their lives and how they've influenced you. And in remembering, what does that do? It encourages you, doesn't it? It encourages you to continue on, to live for Christ and make the gospel known. Because in remembering, we continue. In remembering... We continue. And that is what Paul is calling Timothy to do uh, in our passage today. He's to remember and therefore continue on faithfully preaching the gospel in a very difficult circumstance. Timothy is struggling. We see now as we've gone through this letter, Uh, you get the impression this is one man who would love to give up. Things are hard in the church in Ephesus. He personally feels a very, very weak kind of man. Uh, The church is an absolute mess. Don't get this kind of pretty picture of the early church. It's a mess. And there he is, stuck in the middle, trying to continually faithfully teach. False teachers are making everything difficult. We've seen their teaching back in chapter 1 was like gangrene. That is, it spreads and it eventually will kill. And Paul writes to Timothy, and in no uncertain terms, he says, no, not you. You're not going to be like them. He calls Timothy to continue, to continue on faithfully, to be distinct, to stand out, to not compromise, to be loyal. Yes, to Paul... The one who had given him the gospel to share the gospel, but also ultimately to God. And that is why twice in our passage, if you just cast your eyes down, you'll see in verse 14 he says, But as for you, actually in the original, the the same words are used at the beginning of verse 10. In our translation it says you however, but it's "but as for you, be prepared he's saying, be distinct, stand out, show your difference. Doing what? Verse 14. Interesting, it's the main instruction of the whole passage. Just cast your eyes down, it's the middle of the, the passage. But as for you continue, he's saying. That's the imperative. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. There's the instruction. Continue. He's saying, stick with it, Timothy. Now how's he going to do that? Well, we're going to see in our, uh, our outline just two things, really. He's got to be rooted in what he remembers... What he's been taught, remembering from the past, and then he's got to be rooted in the Scriptures. What he's been taught from a, a bunch of people. He's to remember so we can continue faithfully on. So what does uh, Paul call Timothy to remember? Our first point, we see that in verses 10 to 13. Uh, it may seem arrogant, but what, look what Paul does encourage Timothy to remember. Him, himself. Paul's saying, look at me. Timothy is to remember, firstly, Paul's character we see in verse 10. Look at that again. You have a, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Now think about it. Paul isn't like the men of the previous section. In the previous section, you get those false teachers. They're they're lovers of self. They're lovers of money. And despite talking about his virtues here... Paul isn't focusing himself on himself. It's all about Jesus and what Jesus has done for him and in making Jesus known. Timothy has walked alongside Paul for many years. Many can speculate, they actually say, that he may have even come to faith under, Timothy, uh, under Paul and his teaching and his first missionary journey. Paul knows, sorry, Timothy knows about Paul. He's heard it from his teaching. He's seen it in his life, his ministry. He's seen it in his purposeful uh, kind of ministry being lived out. He's seen it firsthand. He's an eyewitness. Timothy's seen all the challenges and yet he carried on. He continued on <coughs> with Paul. All along the way though, Timothy had seen that consistency in what, in what Paul had said and the way he lived his life. They matched up. His his life, if you like, confirmed his teaching and vice versa. There was no contradiction there. And that purpose word, Paul speaks of that single-mindedness to make the gospel known. How infectious is that when you see that lived out in someone's life? And all of this together influenced Timothy hugely. Hugely. And as Paul wrote these words, you can imagine Timothy reading them out and just all of these things coming to his mind, his imagination, memories being stirred. Paul calls him then to remember his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance. Now, normally, if you know much of Paul's writings, he usually puts a kind of little triad, three together, doesn't he? Faith, love and hope. And he's taken one out and inserted one there. And, and it probably is to kind of say, look at this one, Timothy. This is the one you need faith. And he showed faith in God and he showed love towards all. But especially, he's saying, Timothy, you need to be patient here. With these false teachers around, you've got to stick at this. You've got to be patient with them, with the congregation. There's so many challenges for him. And all of those three things then point to this endurance. This extraordinary endurance that was necessary. It's exactly what Timothy needed, isn't it? Paul isn't showing off here. He's carefully recalling aspects of his character to Timothy. He's asking them, remember. Remember seeing this in me. Now this needs to be in you. Timothy knew this, but he needed it. If he were to continue. Secondly we see Paul uh, T- Paul calls Timothy to remember firstly his character, secondly his persecution. Look at verse eleven. There's persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Now the fact that Paul mentions those three places is is quite pointed, isn't it? He wants Timothy to remember. Why? Well, because he was there. He was there in Antioch. He was there in Iconium. And he was there in Lystra. Well, Paul actually could have mentioned a whole bunch of other worse persecutions which uh, he'd experienced in his life if he was there showing off. He would say, hey, look at me when I was there and there. And there. No, he mentions these three because Timothy's seen them. Lystra well, was perhaps the worst. He'd nearly died there from being stoned. But these were the moments that were etched on Paul's mind, on, Tim- on Timothy's mind. And as Paul mentions these places, you can imagine just images racing through his head. Just think about Lystra for a moment if you can. Paul was stood there uh, and, and he was stoned. And he fell down and, and the crowd that was stoning him, uh, uh, imagined that he was dead. They left. They thought their job was done. And then his followers came around and you can imagine, that you don't really get the details from the story, but you can imagine that he maybe just stirred a bit, his eyes opened, and, you kind of, and he was alive. And Timothy was one of those people that saw him there lying down. And then what happened? Do you think Paul just left? I mean, if you would go back into the city, you can imagine if that would happen again. No, that's exactly what he did. He went back into the city to preach to the people who had just tried to kill him. How do you think that left a mark on Timothy's mind and his heart? Memories like that were flooding through Timothy's mind and stirring his heart. Uh, he remembers, and as he does so, he's emboldened. As he remembers, he's, he's, there's this steely kind of grit coming through him and saying, I, If Paul can do this, I can do this. I, I can remember, and, and I can continue. Proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because he's seen the Lord's rescue again and again for Paul. But remember, Paul is languishing in jail and is probably very soon to die. But ultimately he's clinging to the ultimate rescue, known in salvation in Jesus Christ. I remember meeting missionaries when I was younger. I remember them coming around to our house. I had the privilege of meeting many and some of them who would uh, know, put compartments in the back of their cars and stuff Bibles in to take over to places like Romania and East Germany, as, as was then, and in Russia, who risked their lives to just... To, to that the Bible would get into hands of believers who were meeting in, in, in forests outside of cities, in sub-zero temperatures throughout the year. I remember meeting missionaries who'd given up everything. All comfort. All stability, all career prospects in order to take the gospel to unreached people groups in in the Far East or in Africa. These are the things you remember. These are the things that bring perspective, don't they, to your own situation and the luxuries that you enjoy. These are the things that give you steel to, to carry on, to continue and make Christ known. Oh, these are summarized. Look at the statement in verse 12 and 13. Uh, now, just a bit of. A, we call this an axiom. It's, it's a self-evidence truth, okay? Something that is so obvious, it's kind of put down there. And this is one. In fact, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The opposite, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul, finally here calls Timothy to remember just obvious realities of being a Christian. And in knowing these, you see, it helps us with our expectations, doesn't it, of this life. It will help Timothy in Ephesus. It will help you and I in London or in Chicago. Be honest. I wonder, do you look at verse 12 and do you think you are exempt It's very easy, isn't it? Evangelicals uh, in America, in our country, we are so wealthy. We are so driven by comfort and ease. Do you think you are exempt from verse 12? It's interesting, isn't it? Paul leaves you no wiggle room whatsoever. Everyone. That is, if you live a godly and distinct Christ like life and you dare to speak about the Lord Jesus who saves you for eternity, you will be persecuted. It was true of Christ himself. Do you think you're better than him? It was true of Paul. Do you think you're more winsome than him? you think you're more clever than both of them see we love to assume that we are that we can balance both acceptance in this world and faithfulness to Christ but the reality throughout the Bible throughout history and around the world today is that if you are loyal to Christ first if you make him known you will face some form of opposition now let's just be clear we live in a country we are so blessed with a legal system that, that where we will not face jail for proclaiming Christ Jesus as Lord but perhaps it will come in more subtle forms of rejection and you know these, I know that you do the odd patronising comment that oh you're not quite as enlightened as we are that's what the liberal culture loves to tell us you may be discriminated against you may be called a bigot for your views on various things it's low level persecution but it's real isn't it and you feel it and no doubt you fear it too But the reality is, if you dare to live a Christ-like life and make him known, you will be persecuted. And if you are not, then you probably ought to ask yourself, why not? Where have you compromised? Either you've slipped into society and aren't distinct from anyone around you, or you just haven't dared to speak. To tell those around you of their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy is going into battle in Ephesus. The false teaching was rampant. Oh, you can imagine, you can look at him and you can perhaps try and excuse yourself, but look what he could have excused himself in a million ways. It is so hard for him, both in his personal character and his personal circumstances. And he could have easily slipped into the background. Say less, compromise, water down the gospel. But Paul pleads, as for you, Timothy, no. Don't you dare compromise. Stand strong. Remember me. Remember how I endured, Paul says. How I was patient. Remember all the persecution I faced. Timothy is going into this battle and now he's prepared. Notice he doesn't reject this. He knew the cost. He doesn't run away. He knew what faithfulness to Christ looks like. He knew the reality and he did not run. He embraced it rather. Because remembering strengthened him. It refined him. I, I, let me finish with this on this point. Do you ever wonder how the kids here will remember us? How will Joel and Barnaby and Zach and Emily and Lily and Jane, how would they remember us? How will they view our lives? How will they assess our boldness in making Christ known? Timothy is called to be distinct and to remember Paul, and in so doing, he will be emboldened to continue. And that is where we get to our second point. Continue. Look at it uh, in verse 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Firstly, Timothy is to continue in what he has learned. We see that in verse those couple of verses, verses 14 and 15, he's learned from three wonderful, trusted resources his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, and possibly his best friend and co worker Paul. What a lineup that is! He'd known the privilege of being taught the scriptures from a very early age. His mother and grandmother have seen it as their absolute joy and duty to open up scriptures, to tell the stories from the Old Testament, to just delight in the Lord Jesus. And point them at uh, Timothy to him with a deep and thorough understanding of the Bible. Timothy was brought up. But he'd not only learnt uh, from being taught, he'd also seen it in their lives. It was lived out day by day in their household. And Paul is calling Timothy to continue in what he'd seen and heard and now taken as his own faith. And before we move on, it's a bit of a reflection back as well, on this point as well. But again, we need to consider our duty and joy. What will your children remember in the future? What will your nieces and nephews, just to include everyone, what will your God-sons and God-daughters remember in the future? I remember looking back, I was, I was reflecting, my, I spent a bit of time with my parents over the last week or so, And my parents took us on lovely holidays. They gave us wonderful experiences as children. And I'm really grateful for that. Do you know, I hardly remember any of it. I mean, I remember travelling to lots of countries, but I don't remember many details of it. I look back and the things that really matter that's the things I remember. I remember how they reacted when their parents died. I remember seeing the hope of the gospel being worked out in their lives. I remember how they loved and they pastored thousands of young people, commending Jesus to them, opening up the Bible with them. See, that's what I remember. It's the important stuff. And Paul is calling Timothy to continue in what he has learned from the scriptures, which his mum and his grandmother has taught him. He's been steeped in the scriptures from an early age, and he's to continue in this. He's to trust this. He's to stand on this. Nothing else. Paul finishes his appeal to Timothy by pointing him to what he already knows. That is, he's to continue standing on the scriptures. These really most wonderful and famous verses. Look at this. Sixteen and 17, why is he to stand on them? Because all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These are the most wonderful, kind of helpful ponderous summary of, if you like, the doctrine of Scripture. We see there it's inspired, first and foremost. Yes, it has human authors, each book, uh, every word though, in every sentence is co-authored. It is breathed by God himself. It is God-breathed. And don't think that this is just kind of an isolated verse and it doesn't say anywhere else. No, you could turn to 2 Peter 1, for example, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I could give you numerous other examples. Scripture is inspired by God, it is God breathed every word, every sentence. And this is what the church throughout the ages has always believed. And this is what Timothy is to stand on. If he's to continue faithfully, he must continue in the word, on the word, proclaiming the word. Because it's in the inspired word of God. It is God breathed. But it's also sufficient. Do you see the second word there? He says it's also useful. Useful for a whole bunch of stuff. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. Now those words, teaching and uh, rebuking, of, are kind of what we, it's about what we know. It's, a, it's a, our thinking, our doctrine, if you like. And the problem in Ephesus, and the problem all around us as well, is that scripture has become for many a kind of a pick and mix. You know, like you go to cinema, it's a bit fun, isn't it? You get your pot and, yeah, a bit of that, a bit of that, but I don't like that. Licorice, ooh, no. Sorry, personal preference there. But you get the idea. So many people just take the bits they enjoy and metaphorically rip out the bits they don't want to hear of the Bible. And Paul is he's saying, all of it, every word, all Scripture, is God-breathed and it is useful. That is why we methodically, if you go, go through books of the Bible here at CCE. Why? Well, it's not just because I'm not sure where we are and I can remember it easily for next week. No, it's also because... A bit simple like that. It's also because it means we can't avoid the difficult bits, the more challenging bits to our lives. Scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking, but also correcting and training in righteousness. We need it. We absolutely need it. The correcting word literally means straightening out. Which is what the Bible does, isn't it? As we listen to God speak through his word, the, it is the greatest work of the Holy Spirit. He works through that word into our hearts, into our lives, and straightens us out. Training in righteousness could be simply, make us more like Christ. It doesn't stop there. Look, verse 17 shows us that reading... God's word is his, his breathed words of the Bible we are equipped equipped for every good work think about the opposite you know, think about what happens when we neglect hearing God speak through his word and you might be one of those people right now you haven't opened your Bibles for on your own in devotions for for maybe weeks maybe even months what happens when you neglect Receiving God, uh, receiving His Word into your lives and your heart. You, what happens when you're essentially stopping the Holy Spirit working through the Word? What happens in your life? Just when you want that extra 10 minutes sleep or the extra set of the tennis at the moment, what happens? Well, the opposite of verse 16 and 17. Paul is reminding Timothy here of the foundations on which he can continue forwards. Is he going to trust himself, his wisdom? Does Timothy think he can navigate through the, kind of the complexities of his life and ministry in Ephesus you know, with his own steel, with his own wisdom, with his own strength? No. Life is hard sometimes. Ministry is hard. Being a faithful Christian is hard, as we've seen. You've got to ask the question, what are you going to trust? What wisdom are you going to lean on? Paul is urging Timothy to go to God in his word. Why? Because scripture is God-breathed. It's either God-breathed or it isn't. And you've got to make up your mind on that. It's either useful or it's not. It's either going to equip you or it's not. And it's all scripture or no scripture. Scripture. Do you remember a few summers ago we looked at Psalm 119, it's 176 verses, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. What it's all about, it's about scripture. It's about a writer just delighting in the word of God. Do you know how Moses described scripture? the end of his great sermon in Deuteronomy, he says it's your life. That is, your life depends on it. If you think Jesus is isolated, no. Matthew 4 Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And scripture is God breathed. I was thinking of ending this uh, with a rather provocative illustration, but I've restrained myself, and you will have to imagine it. But it would have gone something like this I would have had to take the Bible out, a Bible like this. And I would have to rip out all the bits that speak against modern, modern liberal culture that we live in today. And then I'd rip out all the bits of, you know, let's just say, things that are contentious a little bit. You know, let's rip out the supernatural elements. Any miracles? Let's just take this. Yeah, scripture, the Bible, it's God-breathed. Let's just rip out anything which is contentious, difficult, challenging... what would be left? If God were reduced to the scientifically explainable and culturally affirming demigod that people want him to be, honestly, in reality, all you'd be left with is a very, very useless contents page. Believing that Scripture is God-breathed and useful, inspired and sufficient, believing that, Timothy, here, stands tall, firm, And he can continue on faithfully. I just wonder, do you think there's another way for you? What are you standing on and trusting in for tomorrow? What will equip you for what lies ahead? Paul's point here is very simple. All scripture. Don't look for the bit part, second rate alternative. Of just picking and choosing what you want All scripture. See, that alternative, when you rip bits out and decide what you want, well, that's easier to swallow for a little while. But it will not equip you, and it will not be useful in the long run. We need the hard bits. You need the challenging bits. The bits that remind us that faithful Christian living will mean persecution, for example. Timothy believed this, and stood firm and tall, and continued on. And my question is this Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know each of our lives, you know each of our hearts and minds right now. So often we make excuses for not trusting in you through your word and allowing your spirit to work in and through that. Help us like Timothy to remember, to look back, to be thankful for those who have influenced our lives, who've lived out the faith in front of us. Help us to remember uh, those who have taught us the glories of the gospel And help us to continue standing firm on that and on scripture alone. Thank you that you have revealed yourself, your love, your kindness, your plan for us uh, in your word, the Bible. Thank you that we can know ourselves, we can know you, we can know the world around us more clearly. We can understand life so much better if we just give ourselves time to open up your word. And allow your spirit to work. Please change us, I pray. Please mould us. Please make us useful in your service and for your glory, we pray. Amen.